Welcome to Get Rich Without Being a Bitch. This is the place to hear real and raw conversations about what it takes for female entrepreneurs to achieve financial success and live a rich life. I'm Vanessa Shaw, author of The Million Dollar Question and your hostess for this podcast. So Sam, I'm just so excited for our conversation today. Me too. a giggling schoolgirl, right? It's like, you know, we're recording this on a Friday afternoon. I was out on the tennis court this morning and I knew I had you on my calendar today. And I just know that we're just about to have the juiciest, juiciest conversation. And uh, so thank you for joining me on the podcast today. And um, just by way of introduction, I want our listeners to know a little bit about you. I mean, you and I actually met when we were both in a program to grow our businesses, and I'd recently you know, arrived here in the States. But you have been working with what I would call creative entrepreneurs now for a good 10 years. So you are the CEO of the creative, organized rather, the, the organized creative company. <laughs> the organized artist company. <laughs> the organized artist company. I just want to keep like giving it a different name. I'm just- That's okay organized with that today but you're basically are leading a you know a community an online community of over 10,000 creatives you have written multiple books that are you know bestsellers on like really about getting, getting stuff done right and overcoming procrastination and like starting where you are you are a speaker I know that you've got another book in the works as well that you and I were talking about, you know, a few months back. I see you've got a podcast that's going to be launching as well. I mean, you've just, you've got it going on, girl. So, you know, I absolutely adore you. Um, I think you're a creative, brilliant woman through and through. And I would just love to, you know, really get raw and real about some of the real stories of you building your business and the challenges being a you know, a so-called creative entrepreneur and working with creatives. So first and foremost, welcome, Sam. I know we're going to have a, let's say, juicy conversation here today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Vanessa. I was so, I've been looking forward to this all day. I love hanging out with you. And thanks for showing up, everybody. Nice to see you. (laughs) I know, right? So tell us a little bit more just about the work that you have been, because you've been in business now for over 10 years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, kind of what is the core business that you're in and who are you helping? And what are you helping them with? Yeah. So I spent the whole first part of my adulthood working as a, as a, as a working actor. That was really my life. And I was, I was one of those kids who went to theater camp. I did all the plays in school. I, that was my whole world. Um, and along the way, I just got very interested in this question of how do creative people make decisions? You know, how do you know what to do when you could kind of do anything? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, should you have a podcast? Should you have a YouTube channel? Should you stand on the street corner with a sandwich board? Like, what do you do? Um, and so I'm sort of an inadvertent entrepreneur. Like I kind of fell into this sideways, an accidental accidental entrepreneur. And, um, and when I started, I knew nothing. I knew nothing. I didn't know anything about anything. I mean, I had no training in marketing or sales or business or any of it. I have, um, I had every job under the sun, but never a job in corporate America. So like I've delivered flowers. I was a whitewater river guide. Like I've done everything, (laughs) but never really worked in business. Um, So it was all very foreign to me, but um, I also had a pressing financial need. So I was like, well, I got to figure this out really quick. So that was the one thing is I started to succeed fairly early. I think mostly because I didn't know it was supposed to be hard. Yes. Yeah. 
And the thing I started teaching was the flagship workshop. My first workshop was Get It Done from Procrastination to Creative Genius in 15 Minutes a Day. And really, I started teaching it like in a church basement in Van Nuys to 11 people. And maybe I was charging them $75. Like maybe, 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 and really stressing out about it. Um, And it really grew from there. I started to teach online. And the work is always about helping highly creative people. tune into what their actual desire is, like what do they actually want to do, you know, as opposed to all the things that other people think they should do, what do they actually want to do, and how can they get that work out into the world and, you know, move through that, that, you know, the grown zone in the middle where it gets really sticky and boring and you don't want to do it anymore, or the end where it looks like it might really be real and then you totally freak yourself out. Yeah. Um, or the end when you're like, hey, is this really what I want to be doing? Yeah, maybe I should go do this other thing. Look, I have a new idea. Perhaps go over there instead. Yeah, yeah. So it's really been about helping creative people get unstuck, whether it's just from inside of their own selves to get their lives more creative or to get their work out into the world and get paid for it. So before we go on, let's just define what you mean by creative. Uh, right. In terms of, and then say, and you know, how your people kind of define themselves as well, because I've had some very interesting conversations over the years about creativity. And for me personally, not considering for a long time that I was creative until somebody pointed out to me, well, Vanessa, you built a business from nothing yeah. uh, out of thin air. Uh, do you not think that's creative? I was kind of like, well, you've probably got a point. Right. So the first thing is creative is not the same as artistic. Creative is not the same as artistic. And somehow in the world, there seems to be a collapsement between those two Mm. things. And there's a lot of people like you walking around going, oh, well, I'm not creative. I'm not creative simply because they're not artistic. Absolutely. Yes. But there's lots of highly creative people who are not in the least bit artistic. And frankly, there's a fair number of artists who are not really that creative. Hmm. I've worked with some of them. I can can tell you this. Um, So for me, everyone is creative. Everyone has at least one or two sort of zones or areas of creative genius. It can be a little hard to tell what they are, though, because there's so much a part of you, you sort of don't notice Mm -hmm. that you're doing it. Um, But it's sort of the area where you have a natural interest, um, you're naturally adept, and you have a natural interest and ability to problem solve in this area. You actually sort of like solving problems in this area. Mm. Like it's, it's fun for you. Um, and a way to think about it maybe is that if somebody, you know, woke you up at three in the morning and said, hey, hey, we're going to go do this thing. Do you want to come? You would be like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Where are my shoes? Yeah. You know, like you'd, you'd be excited at any time. Um, so everyone has at least one or two of, of these. Highly creative people, which make up about 10 to 15% of the population and almost 100% of my my list, have multiple zones of creative genius. So we're good at a lot of things, which sounds great, except everybody thinks then you're flaky or a dilettante or can't focus. And mm. like, oh, no, good at a lot of things, you know, have a lot of ideas all the time. Um, very interested in nuance and gray area, not very interested in black and white orthodoxy thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but that also means that we will overcomplicate a paper bag. Right. Not, <laughs> right? Description. Um, not super motivated by money or prestige or good grades. I mean, sometimes we are, but 
it's more the opposite. Like we'd rather quit. We'd rather starve than stay in a job that we thought that we hated. So there you go. That kind of leads me to, you know, the, this part that I'm just really curious about, right? It's kind of, and in the money part, and particularly, you know, for this podcast, there is, you know, we are talking about money, we're talking about rich, we're talking about getting rich in a bigger sense of the words. But for me, I've always said there are two reasons a business exists. Number one, to add value. Right? We're not adding value in the world, which really and truly comes down to problem solving, right? We've got to be, you know, solving a real problem for people. And secondly, a business exists to generate money. That's right. And a profit, right? Specifically a profit. Now, I know that in the early days of myself being in business, I was all about, I just want to make a difference. Mm. I want to do meaningful work, right? Now, I wouldn't have even used the term add value back then. And my eyes were never on that kind of the money side of things, right? Um, and again, could come into my story later until it kind of it, you know, bit me on the backside. And I realized I really had to focus there. But as you say, in your, your audience, a lot of those people aren't motivated by money, status, you know, and, and perhaps rep- reputation. So how do you help them kind of marry this, you know, like adding value in the world as a creative and actually running a business that's going to be thriving and support them? Yeah, it's, that's really the, the heart of the challenge, isn't it? Because we're talking to people who, don't, first of all, don't know they're in business. They don't think of themselves as being in business. Mm. They also have uh, been told by the culture over and over and over again, well, you can't make money doing that. You can't money, make money as a writer or as a poet or as an actor or as a you know, deep thinker. There's no money in that. Well, in fact, there's a lot of money in all of those things mm. <laughs> if you do it right. Um, or of having this patchwork, you know, resume, you know, what do you, you know, you're a yoga teacher and then you trained as a plumber and now you do stained glass. What are we supposed to do with this? Mm. Well, again, there's a lot of money in, in this multiplicity of talents, uh, if you do it right. But they, but you get a, you know, an ongoing cultural message that says you can't make money doing what you love. Um, and then finally, there's also, I think a little bit of, um, moral high ground, you know, that like, I'm too good for the, I'm too pure for my, like, no, no, I'm just interested in the art. I just want to help people. You know, I don't, I don't care about the money. And I say like, well, I, yes, you know, and certainly money's not the only thing. It's not about the money, but it's not, not about the money either. And this is why I think so many entrepreneurs, whether highly creative or not, and I think most entrepreneurs are highly creative people, um, they get stuck and they, you know, when there's all the statistics about how many businesses fail. I don't think they fail. I think they get exhausted from spinning their wheels doing work that doesn't, doesn't move the needle. They don't pay themselves enough and they get discouraged. I mean, who wouldn't? Okay. They yeah. just quit. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Kind of, it, it's basically burnout or go broke, right? I mean, because that's typically what happens and it's after a while. I mean, it, it's wonderful to have these gifts and talents, but, you know, we've got to be able to monetize them because unfortunately passion alone doesn't pay the bills. Right. And so with my people, just in terms of communicating with your target market, right, I can't really say have your first six figure year or even earn 10K a month like that. They, mm, they, they don't, like, no, don't yeah. do that. You get a lot of friction on that. But if I say like, you know, make a difference in the world, help people that they like, say, and, you know, and be able to buy the good olives at the supermarket, you know, be able to take that trip to Provence, be able to, you know, buy that wonderful gift for your niece or nephew, like things like that. They'll go, oh, you know, when I tell a story about having to take my cat to the vet and it was a thousand dollars, cat's fine, by the way. Um, 
and the ability to just go like, yes, yes, of course, fine, fine, yes, a thousand yeah. no problem. Like to take already a stressful event of, ha- of having the cat be unwell and to not have the additional stress of the money on top of it, it just makes life a lot better. So huge, and especially for one of our furry friends, right? That we love and we want to take care of them. Again, it's like we can't, you know, go in and just use the, uh, you know, passion and love and everything with negotiating the bill for the vet, right? They've got their fees as well. So I know, you know, part of your, you know, especially the time that we were met, that we met, you know, kind of the ups and downs of our own businesses. And at one point, you know, when we were kind of working on our own money mindset and wealth consciousness, you'd shared with me that you started to realize that you were actually wearing kind of frugality um, as a badge of honor. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it was a hangover from my, from my working artist days, you know, I was great at being broke. I wasn't just broke. I was great at being broke. (laughs) I clipped coupons. I shopped at thrift stores. I handmade all my gifts. I never spent anything on anything, anytime. And I could really, you know, I could make a nickel go a month. I could, you know, I can do almost anything with rice and beans. (laughs) Anything. It's amazing what I can do with rice and beans. And it's, and when you again, start to feel that sort of moral superiority of like, oh no, I don't, I don't need that. And for me, there was a whole emotional side of that as well, that I had emotionally been sort of saying, no, no, I can survive on crumbs emotionally. Mm. And so there was a real correlation for me about starting to stand up for what I wanted and needed as a person and what I wanted and needed financially and learning you know, when I finally got real about money and like started to really, you know, learn about it and ask some hard questions and be like, you know, there's this whole thing in the culture, like money's scarce or it's hard to come by or you have to work really, 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 really hard. And then maybe you can have a little bit of it. Mm. I'm like, that's just not true. That's just not true. There is no shortage of money anywhere. I, I like look around <laughs> all kinds of people spending all kinds of money on all kinds of things all the time. So what was it? I mean, in those early days, you know, how was that, as you say, like wearing the frugality, like a badge of honor, how was that impacting your business back then? Well, what happened is I ended up, I, I was very, I had a, I had a, a I was a, a marketing savant, you know, it's sort of an email marketing savant. I didn't know, again, I didn't really know how good or bad I was at it because I had never really seen anybody do it. And it turns out I was really good at it. So I amassed a fairly large list pretty quickly and I would send them all kinds of stuff and they'd email me back all the time. Like we had this great conversation going and I really loved the community. And I realized that I was way more interested in their love than I was in their money. Mm. And I was concerned that if I started to charge more or make more sales, that I would be risking that, that love. So that meant like free thing, free thing, free thing, free thing, free thing. Hey, did you want to buy something? You don't have to. Let's talk about something else. Okay. <laughs> like that was my sales cycle. <laughs> exactly right. So like avoiding the money conversations. Completely. And overgiving. Totally. Kind of things. Yes. Exactly. So, um, but then realizing... I didn't, I wasn't able to articulate this quite this way until fairly recently, but what I hadn't realized was two things. First of all, you're always getting paid in the currency you're asking for. You are always getting paid in the currency you're asking for. In that situation, I was asking for love and affection and recognition, Mm. right? And maybe you're asking for Facebook likes. 
And maybe you're asking for neglect, you know, for a long time, like I said, my self-esteem was so low. It, it made sense to me emotionally to like work really hard and get no recognition for it. Mm. Right. So if you're not getting paid in money, like look at what is the, what, what are you getting paid in? I love are you getting, this. yes. You know, a, a rush of moral superiority. That's, that's a way to get paid, you know? Yeah. It's like you're getting something from it. Right. But now you've got to start to look at, is it really serving you? You know, how does that need to shift? Right. And then I am curious, like, was there like a, a moment in time or like something that happened that really shift your own relationship with that, where you kind of had that wake up call, went like, this just doesn't work anymore? Or was it a gradual, you know, over time? No, it was sort of a single moment um, where I had a coach friend. We were, we'd been friends and colleagues for years and uh, we were having dinner and she asked how things were going. And I was like, oh, fantastic, fantastic. The list, the books, the, you know, everything, um, you know, financially, it's kind of a mess. And she was like, you have an issue with money and I'm tired of it. We're going to fix this. And I was like, Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> and we did, and she helped me come up with my first high-end program. Um, and if, and I knew if I was going to offer a high-end program that I had to be enrolled in a high-end program. I couldn't, in good conscience, ask people to do something that I wasn't willing to do. Totally, yeah. So, um, and that action of investing in a high-end program was one of the most powerful actions I've ever taken. I don't think I had ever said to myself, you're worth it. Mm. your work is worth it. Your people are worth it. You don't know what you don't know. You have to get in a room with people like Vanessa who are up to big things, you know? And my little Midwestern girl self was like, I'm sorry, we're paying what for what now? <laughs> you know? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, it was more than I had ever paid for anything, including college. I mean, anything. Yeah. And, but it, it was so galvanizing because I didn't have a 401k. I didn't have a budget. I didn't have any, you know, I had to make that money back before the American Express bill came. Mm. What a great friend though, right? I mean, first, somebody that really cares for you to like really, you know, just call it out, right? And say, you know, I'm calling you out. Not only that, but like, let's dig in and help you. And as you said, like design that program. And as you say, right, you've got to be in integrity. That's what I think in, in business, especially in the in the, in the kind of work that you and I do, which, you know, if it's kind of coaching or consulting or expecting people to kind of step up in some way, we've got to be in integrity. Like, oh, do we walk our talk? And are we role models, right, for, for what we're asking other people to do? Um, and, we, and we have to experience, like, the discomfort, as you say, of, like, investing in yourself at that level because I am sure, and I, I actually remember... Funny enough, and it wasn't then. I, by the time you and I had met, I was I'd been playing that game for a while, and I knew that I actually had to invest in myself. I've always said, you know, at the end of the day, I am as the leader of the business. You know, I am the like, the most valuable asset right now, and so therefore, it makes sense to invest in me and get the coaching and the mentoring and build those skills and everything. So I've been playing, you know, that game for a while. I remember the day, though, when I um, decided to invest at a higher level to work with a mentor that I really wanted to work with more closely and saying that, yes. And at the time, same thing. I didn't know where the money was going to come from. It was like a big leap. It was like, well, I'm going to you know, make the decision and the commitment and then I'm going to make sure I do the work. As you say, the bill's going to come in and I've got to you know, do what I need to do. Mm-hmm. And I walked back into that room, Sam, and actually everyone, there was a bunch of women sitting down on the table with me. And they said to me, they said, Vanessa, you literally look like you have just grown two inches. Right? It was that feeling of, you know, I'm giving myself permission 
like to do this and to really say, I believe, you know, A, I believe in myself, right? And I value myself. I value my goals. I value the community that I want to, you know, that I'm serving. I value the business that I want to be building. I value the future that I'm creating, right? Enough to say, I'm actually going to invest in it. And at the end of the day, cash is, let's face it, it's a big, it's not the only currency of commitment, but it's certainly a big one. It's certainly a big one. And, and that understanding that, that, you know, again, giving up on some of the self-sufficiency disease too, you know, this, you're being willing to say, I don't know what I don't know. You know, what am I going to learn from this mentor? Well, I'm not entirely sure, but I can tell you, I know that if I keep doing what I've been doing, I can tell you exactly the results I'm going to get because it's exactly the same results I've always gotten. So if I want something different, I'm going to have to do something differently. So for the girl that was, you know, has been very adept at, as you say, making beans and rice <laughs> go, go a really long way. And, you know, really, as I say, living that frugal, which at the end of the day, that these are fantastic skills, right? Because it does mean you can be, you know, very skillful in that area. You ever hit hard times or for whatever reason, those skill sets are always going to be there. And I like beans and rice. <laughs> Actually, it's funny enough, even though you said that, so do I, right? I've got a vegan daughter and beans and rice are quite a, a staple at times. Yeah. But I am curious because you did share with me when we met recently in Phoenix, it, you know, the 10th year anniversary of your company, you decided to spoil, well, you know, spoil yourself, indulge yourself in something, a very special gift that you would have previously never, ever done that. Like the, the, first, the, 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 the version of Sam that I first met would have never done that. Never. <laughs> Tell our listeners kind of why, what it was and like, and what it's done for you. Yeah. So, um, I will say that one thing that's sort of hanging around my head about, about the, the shift from never making any money to making pretty good money pretty easily was also the realization that undercharging is a lie. That when you are undercharging or not charging at all for what you do, you're lying to people. You are misrepresenting the value of what you do. Mm-hmm. In the same way that if we overinflated the value of what we do, that would be a lie. We all recognize that as a lie. You know, so true. Yes. Right? Yeah, totally. Same, same on the other end. Right? So just... It's so true. I love that. I've never thought about it that way. It's yeah. true that on the upper end, we go, that's misrepresentation. But yeah, on the lower end, it is. It's, and it's really undervaluing. Yeah. And it doesn't communicate the value to other people of what it is you're doing. Like it's just, it's flat out misrepresentation. It's a lie. Um, yes. So yes, last year was the 10th anniversary of the organized artist company. And as the CEO, I felt that it was important to recognize the contributions of the CEO to the organized artist company. And so I decided to get myself a pair of Gucci loafers. Now, I have been obsessed with these loafers like since I was old enough to know what shoes are. I don't know why. I think they're so cool, but I just think they're so classic and so great looking. And I don't know. I just was fascinated by them. Um, and they're not the most expensive shoes you can buy, but they're certainly more expensive than Yeah, they're up there. Yeah, yeah they're up there. Um, and... M- Moreover, I was on my way to teach at a retreat and I really wanted to wear them at the retreat, but I was running way behind and I thought, oh, I'm not going to have time to pick them up. And then I thought, wait a minute, this is Nordstrom we're talking about. So I call over to Nordstrom and I'm like, hey, you guys have the thing where I can just like buy the thing and then you'll meet me outside, right? Because I knew what size I was because I tried them on like a million times. Many times, no doubt, to test them. (laughs) I would go and visit them. Hello, shoes. Nice to see you. (laughs) Stroke them. Admire them. (laughs) 
Okay, no, I'm not drooling on your shoes. I have to go. Um, and sure enough, oh, they said, well, yes, Miss Bennett, we'd be happy to do that for you. And so sure, I pull up in front of the Nordstrom and here's this very well-dressed young man with a bag for me. Here you go, Miss Bennett. I pull off of the car like, oh, <laughs> I'm such a badass. And yes, I was definitely a moment. That and flying first class on my book tour where I was like, take a picture of this because 15 years ago, I would have said not possible. Mm. not even in the realm of possibility and I love those stories right again it's it's all about the symbolism for you at the end of the day right it's kind of you know it's, it's really what it does for you uh we had a client in our program uh, an amazing woman I mean, in fact we'll probably have her on the podcast as well she just does some amazing work in the world and one of her things was you know again that next kind of financial glass ceiling was about her giving herself what she really wanted as the CEO of the business and when I dug into it, you know, she revealed that she really wanted to get, it was something like a red Michael Kors purse. And, you know, people in the room, there were some people in the room that were like, just go, go, go get it. You know, you do it. And the other people were like, what? Like, why? You know, it, again, very personal. And uh, you could see it just meant so much to her. She had, you know, had this image of this in her head for years and had just never given herself permission to say, hey, I've been working really, really hard on my business. She had like, you know, quadrupled the size of her business. I mean, really doing some amazing things. She's also a national speaker. And it was about giving herself permission. And, uh, it, you know, when she did that, I mean, she then went on to have like one of her highest months as well soon after that. It's like the purse, she said, just completely elevated her game again to another level. Exactly. And I think there's a really, this is, there's a real subtlety here that, that, that um, I think is worth pointing out because it's not just dress up like a fancy person and, you know, put on something that you're not, I am not a fancy person. I do not have a fancy life. Like, um, and, but to pick the things that are meaningful to you, right. That person meant something to her. Those loafers meant something to me. They were part of my history. They were woven into me. It wasn't just some like random status symbol it was a personal status symbol and so consequently I totally believe that she had one of her highest months because I think I did too and partly because I have to say I think those shoes have magical powers and I am invincible when I wear these shoes of course that's what I was going to say isn't it the case that you put them on and you probably immediately feel like the elevated version of you as you say the magical version of you that's exactly right and, and then I also have, then there's this attitude of like, well, what would Gucci shoes do? You know, would Gucci shoes worry about this, you know, $100 charge? Would Gucci shoes hesitate to hire an assistant? Would Gucci shoes, you know, not make a strong offer to help someone she knew she could help? You know, like sort of activating this, this uh, more, I don't know, um, powerful mm. version of my own personality mm. so, I, it, it is so many layers to this sam as well the other side of this is one well, i'd love to kind of just shift gears slightly because when we talk about the more powerful side of our personality i know and again you know one of the reasons i've you know entitled the podcast right you know get rich without being a bitch is i was always concerned that you know for me going into business and being successful and kind of being financially successful, I didn't realize that I had a whole load of hidden, very hidden, you know, unconscious beliefs about who I needed to be. 
Mm. And for me, that really meant that I kind of had to become like, you know, the Cruella de Vil or the Miranda from, you know, like the Devil Wears Prada and become this very cold, uncaring, calculated uh, woman in order to be that, you know, to be more successful. And that was something that really, really held me back for a long time. And I'm just curious, you know, I mean, again, I'm sure that's my experience. Other people may may relate to that. But I'm curious, you know, what's been your experience around that? And kind of like the fear of, you know, has there been a fear of being, oh, my gosh, well, she's, you know, becoming too big for her boots now because now she's buying Gucci loafers or she's becoming bitchy or self-serving. I mean, whatever those things might be. Right. Well, first of all, I want to underline for you, I think this is a, I think this is a very common concern. And to me, it points to some of the sort of hidden misogyny in our culture. You know, that there is a big cultural story that says, well, powerful women are bitches. Yeah, totally. You know, that you are either a loving housewife, a loving mother, or you are some bitch on wheels who's only interested in the money. And, and yeah. you know, like that, that we even tell that story, like we don't tell that story about men. <laughs> we don't say, oh, you know, you can either be a loving daddy or a powerful asshole. No, we don't have that dichotomy for men, right? So just understand that that's not all you're doing, right? There's a, there's a cultural construct that's sort of thrust upon you. And what I really notice is that having my own business allows me to bake my values into the business, right? So my personal beliefs become my corporate policies, and the way I treat my team and the way I instruct my team to treat my clients, we become like this force for good in the world, which is an amazing thing to not only be your own economic engine, you know, be able to say, I am my own economy. I mm. can bring in whatever money I want to bring in whenever I want to bring it in. That's, that's what being an entrepreneur is. I have the lever. I can make the money whenever I need to um, or want to. But also I can, my business can be a force for my values in the world, right? So because my values are creativity, kindness, authenticity, good humor, um, I call the perfect word, sort of a high level of literacy and, and valuing reading and language and word choice. Um, so then a situation comes up, right? Somebody, I don't know, somebody refuses to pay. That's... Hmm. I think never happened, but let's say somebody refused to pay. <laughs> you know, uh, somebody wants a, you know somebody wants a refund six months later or something. You know, something crazy. Um, there's the first thing I'll do is go to my values. Like, well, what is the kind, authentic, transparent, good-humored, articulate way to to handle this? Oh, right. And now, I, now I have options. Now I have choices and. I never have to worry about being um, some cartoon version of a bitch. In fact, my, what I find is being a boss allows me to be the nicest person ever, right? Because I hire geniuses. I pay them anything they want. I give them raises as often as I can. I compliment them profusely. <laughs> you know, I actually had one team member join my team fairly recently. And about two weeks later, she fired one of her other clients. And she came, she was like, uh, yeah, just seeing how you and your team are. She's like, I realized I didn't really need to put up with that. Like a different experience, right? Totally different experience. And I think, again, it's a really important conversation. As you say, yes, it is a social construct and it's one that we are still, you know, it, it exists, right? 
that there's a lot of perception out there, you know, that you've got to be this in order to get ahead. And I love that you say that, you know, it's about, you know, really thinking about those values and living them and embodying them and making choices from that, from them. And that the work is not only about, you know, like the creative work and the deliverables that you actually, you know, you know, do for your clients, provide for your clients, but it's also that knock-on effect of how you're treating people. It's culture, right? But you're really demonstrating that we can be a different way in the world and be successful and be fulfilled in the work that we're doing, which for me is kind of that that win-win-win. Exactly. And that's what I'm always looking for, right? What's the win-win-win-win-win, right? So it's good for me. It's good for you. It's good for the client. It's good for the parking guy. Like, I want it to be good for everybody, Mm. right? what else was I just thinking about? Yeah, this, oh, this, is, this is an integrity issue as well, right? Because uh, I, I, I don't want to point any fingers here in the personal development industry, but there are quite a number of people out there who are out there preaching one way of thinking. They're talking kindness. They're talking abundance. They're talking, um, you know, integrity. And then behind the scenes, they're not paying their bills on time. They do have a ton of refunds. They do, you know not fulfill their promises. They do treat their team like crap. It's like, that's, you really, as you were saying earlier, you have to be the person that you want to be. You have, if you want to be, have people pay your bills on time, you have to be the person who pays your bills yeah. on time. Yeah, absolutely. Otherwise it's always going to come back and bite you. I mean, just to, you know, again, shift gears slightly. I mean, I know that for me, um, talking about being bitchy, um, I had to do a lot of work around that, right? To kind of integrate that part of me that I was afraid of becoming. And really and truly, when I really looked at it and did some work on it and kind of got, you know, beyond the fear of it, what I really realized was that was just the more powerful part of me, right? And it didn't mean that I was disrespectful, unkind, uncaring, but it was about clear, you know, clarity, boundaries, respect for self, respect for others. Um, And I kind of, you know, started to really like that version of me, right? That more, as you said, like that more powerful, clear person. Now, what I noticed myself though, is if I'm not careful of some of my boundaries and particularly, you know, don't take time for myself, frankly, there is a version of me that shows up that I don't particularly like, right? Yes. And she can get a little bit, you know, short and catty and lacking in patience and and all the rest of it. So I had to acknowledge, right, obviously both sides exist. Now, you know, so for me, self-care has also been a really important part of my journey and investing in that and kind of having my own practices so that I feel integrity with who I want to be. And I'm constantly showing up as the, the best version of myself. Now, I know you have spoken quite publicly, uh, probably more so in the last year or so, about your own struggles as well with, you know, depression. And again, people wouldn't be aware of that if they meet you because you are, you're kind and you're fun and you've got tons of energy. So I'm curious, you know, if you could just, you know, kind of share just a little bit more about that journey, because it's not always something that we talk about, especially when we run businesses, people I think that there's a lot of assumptions, right, that we've got it all together as the CEO and we couldn't possibly be struggling with those things. And then I'm also curious, Sam, as to, you know, perhaps what are some of your own like self-care practices or boundaries that you've had to put in place to help you navigate that? Yeah, yeah, those are a lot of really good questions. Um, Pardon me, living with depression and anxiety, um, you know, I've had my whole life 
Although, of course, when I was younger, there was no such thing as childhood depression when I was a child. There was, um, and, or adolescent depression. It just wasn't a thing. I, I was well into adulthood before I figured out, like, wait a minute. Hold on. <laughs> There's a thing. There's a thing. Um, and I have what's called um, atypical depression, which I don't know why it's called atypical because it's really quite typical. It's not unusual at all. Um, but it means that my depression doesn't show up as like, oh, I can't get out of bed. I'm going to cry and cry for days and days. Um, my it, With atypical depression, you can, you kind of can show up and you can sort of match the energy of what's going on around you, um, which in some ways is great because it means you're really high functioning. Mm-hmm. But in other ways, you suffer even more because no one knows, no one can tell. Mm. You know, if you don't leave your room for four days, people start knocking on the door. You know, people start yeah. saying, you're unwell, you need help. You know, f- for me, I because I didn't have those tells, those, those things. Um, and the ways in which depression, I think, has made me a better entrepreneur is I don't wait to feel good to do things. Mm. Cause uh, yeah. Cause I don't generally feel good. You know? <laughs> like, and I can't give myself the out of like, well, I don't really feel up to it. Therefore I'm not going to do it. Like I treat every appointment, like it is carved in stone and I treat every deadline. Like I am being chased by wild dogs because I know that if I start letting myself off the hook, it's an express elevator right down to hell, you know? Mm. And that productivity is one of the things that helps keep my spirits up. Um, and I like being busy. I like working hard, you know? It's, uh, for years, busy was my favorite narcotic of all. Right? <laughs> Not to mention that you've written books on this as well. Again, as you said, that's kind of interesting because how many times can we let ourselves off the hook, as you say, we don't feel like it? Um, and if you really are battling something where the likelihood is you're not going to feel like it, we've got to have different strategies in place or, or otherwise we're certainly not going to be growing a business uh, and making a life, you know, as smooth and effective as possible. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, and I, and I do talk about it and, and I talk about it more and more, um, mostly because I just noticed that there's a lot of not talking about it going on. And every time I do talk about it, people are like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you know, they freak out because there's just not that much language mm. around it. You know, there's not, there's most people who have depression don't really know how to talk about it in a way that makes sense to other people. And people who don't live with depression, and I'm always like, are there such people? What would it be like? What would that be like? Yeah. What would that be like? I can't even imagine. Um, to be able to articulate for them what it's like so that they can start to go, oh, Oh, that's what it feels like. Oh, that's how it shows up. Oh, no wonder me just saying take a walk in the sunshine doesn't really improve the situation. Right. Mm. <laughs> um, so, so, what are some of the strategies that you, you know, you found have worked for you? Yeah. You are, I mean, you are, you know, highly functioning. I mean, you've always got so many projects and book writing and the business is that you you achieve more than most people do. <laughs> So I'm curious, you know, it's like you're, you're battling that in the background. You've got, you've got to have come up with some pretty smart strategies to help you. I, I have. Um, get your cell phone out of the bedroom. Get your cell phone out of the bedroom. That first waking up period, like before your eyes are even open, that's when I start my prayer and meditation practice. Mm. Is right in that moment. 
I think it's a very important time, that liminal time between sleeping and waking, especially for the overworked person, the sensitive person, the entrepreneur, the creative person. Mm. That, that, that moment when you're kind of not anybody yet, mm. you know, like you almost feel like you could be nine waking up, like you're, you, you're not even sure who you are. Um, I think that's really important to sort of breathe into that and sort of come into the world in a civilized manner, you know, in a conscious way. And there's all kinds of evidence that shows that the things you do in the first hour or two of the day have an exponential effect on the rest of your day. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you are scrolling through Twitter feeds or the news, or which is typically depressing, or looking at email. It's kind of like, that's how you're starting your day, right? You're, and it's going to dictate the pace. Yeah. And you're, you're behind already. And yeah, there's nothing going on on your phone that cannot wait for 20 minutes for you to like mm. come to the world like a civilized person. You know, cool side of the pillow, snuggle if there's somebody to snuggle with or an animal to snuggle with. Like give yourself back that, that waking up moment. Um, I also, I moved to a very small town with a lot of sunshine and a lot of ocean. And that, I was always a city girl. I grew up in Chicago. I lived in LA for 15 years. Moving to a small, quiet town, like, changed everything for me. I, it, it's, it, I don't know, the, I don't know, not sure the soulmate thing is really a thing for people. I think that's kind of bullshit, but I think it might be a thing for places. <laughs> right, a soul place. <laughs> a place I like, that speaks to your soul. Yeah, I just, I look out the window and I just swoon. I love living here so much. So I think that, that made a big difference. I also, um, and I'm super smug about this. I do CrossFit, which is really, really hard. <laughs> I was getting interviewed the other day. And it's the same thing that I was really smug about doing CrossFit. <laughs> My friend who was interviewing me said, isn't everybody who does CrossFit really smug? I said, yes, yes. We're worse than vegans. We're terrible. Actually, it's true. It's a little bit like the vegans. You know, you always know vegan because they tell you. you. You always know people that are going to tr CrossFit because they tell you. We're insufferable. We're absolutely insufferable. But I go because, I, there's a lot of reasons I go, but one of the reasons I go is because it reminds me of the person I want to be. Whenever I don't feel like going, which is almost always, because it's incredibly hard, I think to myself, I can do hard things. And then that makes me go. Mm. And to go into that room, and I'm terrible at it. I'm really, there's a few things I'm good at, but mostly I'm terrible at CrossFit. And you can imagine, just even from this little bit of time together, how much I love being the worst person in the room at something. <laughs> exactly. This, this is what brings out the not very nice part of my personality, right? Is I'm like, how come I don't know how to do this yet? You know, my, all my perfectionism, all my drive, everything kicks in. And she really like, Sam, this is how your clients feel. Totally in the deep end, completely out of their comfort zone, very confused by what's going on. And like, they're pushing themselves as hard as they can and not get really getting anywhere. Like, be in that feeling, be in the beginner's mind, be in the challenge of that, be in the, the hard work of that. Um, but also, I think there's just a huge medicine in sweating. And oh, totally. The toxins, the, you know, physical, as you say, physical activity, getting that heart rate up. I mean, it's, it is very healing. Um, and I know that for me, you know, my thing is the tennis court, it's hiking with my dogs, you know, it's power walking. I have been getting back into the gym recently as well. And uh, well, strength training, I'm telling you what. I tell you what, Sam, and again, it's one of those things, you know, I, I'll resist that one, uh, you know, really resist. I never have to resist going on the tennis court. Like, that's just so easy. You know, yeah. I never have to resist walking my dogs or out in nature. Going to the gym is a different story. 
And yet there's that part of me, I'm like the little kid that's got in there. And I'm like, once I've resisted him, I go in there and I'm kind of like, I don't want to admit that I'm enjoying it. Right. (laughs) But as you say, it's that, you know, sense of accomplishment and doing difficult things. I love that you said that, you know, again, it's that sometimes we do have to push ourselves to do difficult things. And there's a lot right now in our culture, which can be around do all those things that you enjoy. And if it feels difficult, then it's the wrong thing for you. And I don't always agree with that. Now, I'm not sure we should, we need to surround ourselves with difficult things that don't feel right the whole time. But there is a real sense of, you say, pushing ourselves out that, outside of that comfort zone, mm-hmm. right? and being, building the discipline of doing difficult things, because there's a lot of, of difficult things that we don't want to be doing in the business, yet we have to take it to the next level. Exactly. And when you start to learn that you can count on yourself to show up that you can count on yourself to do your best and push through even when your best isn't very good, you know? Um, and the other thing too, the other way I sort of really want to reframe self-care is, you know, the magazines love to talk about self-care, like get a mani-pedi, have a spa day with your friends. Yeah. That's not, you know, that's not my favorite way of, that, that doesn't feel caring to me. That feels annoying. To, my mani-pedis are annoying to me. <laughs> um, But when you are the entrepreneur, you are the engine pulling the train. If you are not in tip-top condition, there is no business. So it stops being optional. It stops being like, oh, when I get to it, it stops being, you know, oh, I don't have time to take a nap. I don't have time to work out. I don't know. You have to have time to take a nap. You have to have time to work out. You have to have time to socialize with your friends and remind yourself that you're a normal person ish. (laughs) You have to, you know, you have to have date night. You have to have all the things that make your life full and rich and matter so that you are showing up nourished. And it's all energy, right? I mean, that's where I look at self-care. I mean, I happen to be the girl, you know, I do like the many pedis, right? You know, you and I are very different in that. Um, How, having said that, it's actually not my favorite thing to go and do either. I, I do actually find it quite annoying at times. But I think of it, or it's the energy, right? It, it takes a lot of energy to a run the business. You know, we're in small business, so we, we're typically wearing multiple hats to take a biz, to run a business, and then to grow it as well. Two different things. Yeah. You know, to so take it to the next level, it takes a lot of energy. And for me, I see all of that. You know, as you say, self care. I think there's a, a lot of misunderstanding around really what it is, um, and we tend to see it as the rewards, right? Oh, we have a little day at the spa and it's a reward. And then we don't want to ever give ourselves that because we can feel guilty. Whereas I think this about, I see it in the context of how am I going to energize myself? Keep my energy high. What are those things, A, that drain me that I really don't want to be doing too much of because then I'm really depleting my stores. But what are those things that ultimately give me better energy? Because now I can, you know, I'm going to show up a lot more present and productive to my work. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And what you're saying before, you know, that that person who, you know, when we allow ourselves to get overtired, too hungry, too angry, too lonely, too tired, too thirsty, um, and we think, oh, I can't possibly, you know, do any of the things that take care of myself because that would be selfish. You know, I don't have time for that. Well, what's that's actually selfish because now you're asked, now you're showing up in the world exhausted and stressed out and with no sense of humor and the rest of us have to deal with you like that. Yeah. 
And that that's is the bitchy side, right? That's, that's that is the bitchy side. That's when I go, that's what, yeah, you know what? I am showing up bitchy right now. I don't like this version of me. And I agree with you that probably other people don't like it either. Well, and especially for women who typically have the second shift, right? Because not only are we running the business full time, but now we've got to also cook dinner and plan for the birthday party on Saturday. And oh, by the way, there's a family trip coming. And oh, wait, you need new socks. And all the emotional labor of running a family, even if it's just, a, you know, even if it's just you and your partner, that typically falls on on women. So we can get like roll overload, like, okay, I'm a little, like, I'm a little tired of being in charge all of a sudden. Um, but yeah, we need to, we need to, to, to stay replenished because when you show up, when you spend time on your creative projects, you spend time, you know, on your health and well-being, you spend time in communication with whatever spiritual thing makes you feel great. Um, you know, then you're showing up with a light in your eyes. You know, you show up calm, you're not so reactive, you can listen better, and have good ideas. I was so proud of myself recently. We had a, a launch that a team member sort of took control of. I kind of said, you know what, you, you run with that. And even profit participation, like, you know, go ahead and, you know, make that work. And it tanked so badly, so badly for a number of reasons. And I was so proud of myself because I was like, all right, well, that's an interesting result. And she and I had to talk about it. And then the next day we had the team meeting and I was like, okay, so that went over like a lead balloon, epic fail, well done. Now we know what doesn't work. Like we tried something new, it didn't work, moving on. Yes. Next. And the entire team just picked up and was like, oh, I'm like, wait, cause I didn't need to get into blaming or finger pointing or crying in my beer about how sad it was. <laughs> You know, I was like, well, next, like what is going to work? Because the American Express bill is still coming. So totally. Totally. let's make it work. But again, you're not in a good place or we're not in a good place. Those things are going to happen. There's always going to be things that fail, that tank in business. And then we react completely differently. Exactly. I'd love to, just by way of closing, Sam, you know, the, the truth is you and I, I mean, listen, look at the subjects we've covered today. And we said we were going to free flow this, you know, from creativity to bitchiness to money stuff to self-care, you know, to, you know, depression. I mean, there's just so many different things in this. I'd love to ask you just by way of closing, like what's, if there's one, you know, one piece of advice that you would give to either your younger self or frankly, a younger woman, like that's in those early stages of business that perhaps, perhaps you wish you'd received yourself and didn't, what would it be? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, well, one thing I always have done, even as a much younger, even starting when I was in college is I write out by hand all my, my budget, every month, my, my monthly expenses. So I always, always have known exactly what my numbers were mm. and how far done in debt I am or I'm not, you know? And I think that grounding, I mean, even when the numbers aren't pleasant, like the fact that I, that I, and I have to do it by hand cause I'm not very good with numbers. So like, if I don't write it by hand, I sort of don't get it. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's one practice that I, that I would sort of recommend that I, that I already do. I think, you know, one question that, really sort of blew my mind the first time I heard it is if you think, well, if there's some young woman fresh out of art school and she makes a painting and she charges $500 for it, what's your feeling about that? Mm. Charges $5,000, what's your feeling about that? If she charges $50,000, what's 
for it. My dogs are going crazy in the background. Here. Hi, Winston. So Hi, puppies. That time of day, we're just going to like, this is, this is the imperfect podcast. That's right. Um, I'm surprised where the cats hasn't shown up. Right, they'll all show up in a minute, yeah. Right, like, what is my opinion about a young woman just out of art school who's charging $5,000 versus $500,000? Mm. And just sitting in that question, and real like watching my prejudices come up, watching my big fat opinions, watching I'm like, because it's art, right? We can't say what it's worth, really, you know. Um, so that's I would I would really I would urge that I would I would urge a younger version of myself or a younger version of somebody else to to open up to this idea of of worth and value. Cause you're not charging what you're worth. This is, this is a phrase that really drives me nuts. Oh, I know. Charge what you're worth. No, no, your no, worth is intrinsic. Charging, you're charging what your services are worth. <laughs> what is it worth to them? What is it worth to somebody else? That's right. It's not what it's worth. You, you have intrinsic value. We don't look at a rope boiled babies and say that baby is worth more than that baby. Your right. worth is so that's true. And as you say that, that it is, it's, I think we can understand that a little bit more in the art world where we do sort of say there are those paintings that there, we, there are people that are willing to pay crazy prices for, right? right? No. But then there is that inherent, you know, value in it. They, somebody looks at that painting and feels the same way I feel when I look at my Gucci shoes that like, oh, that person I want to be, the feeling I have when I look at, you know, to, to that's, so I guess I would ask myself more expansive questions about the nature of money and value as opposed yeah. to buying into sort of that traditional story of like it's hard and you got to grub for it and it's dirty and it's I love easy. that I love that what's become valuable for me right at this point in time is somebody walking in and keeping my dogs quiet there you go right? well, any amount of money any amount of money any amount of money you know whatever but I, I do I love that I think that's a really great way you know frankly you talking about that makes me think that was a big journey I had to go on to disassociate my personal kind of, you know, value from the services because, you know, because I do it, it's a service and it's not a tangible product that I've made and I'm kind of, you know, handing over. That was a big journey to really, you know, disassociate that in a way that, you know, it wasn't about charging what I'm worth. And unfortunately, there was so much of that conversation that was very prevalent when I was starting out in business that it really got it into my head. And I think I was one of the ones that I kind of came out after one and said, what is this about charging what we're worth? We are, as you say, we're all inherent, you know, intrinsically valuable in this world as human beings. And if we can disassociate it and start to see that, you know, the worth of our services to the person that is looking to invest in them or buy them, it's a much easier conversation. And I certainly wish I'd learned that. That would have been one for me. Had I learned that earlier on in business, I would have probably saved myself a little bit of heartache. It's an interesting question. Like how much do you have to charge to change how you're showing up in the world? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that is just a beautiful question for us to really bring this podcast to a close today. You know, it really is. It's like, yeah, how much do you need to charge for you to be showing up differently in the world? Um, And I love that. That's a beautiful reflective question. Sam, if our listeners, I know so many of them are going to want to find out more about you, get your books, you know, listen to your podcast when it's launched and everything. How can our listeners connect with you? Yeah, just hop over to therealsambennett.com. 
the real sambennett.com. And um, there's some kind of opt-in to quiz or something. I don't know. Just get on the list. Cause then you'll start to see how I, what, what I do with email, which is, which is kind of fun. Um, and you're also welcome. Of course, the books are available on Amazon and audible and in your local bookstore. So, um, but get on my list and then write me back and tell me about your projects and we'll be pen pals and best friends. It'll be great. I love that. And you are one of the few people whose emails I read because you actually write really great emails as well. So I know none of us in this day and age kind of want to sign up for emails and things, but yours happen to be really good. So I would really recommend that our listeners connect with you. We'll make sure we get some links to your books as well, you know, in the show notes here. And Sam, as always, if you were here, I'd be giving you a great big hug. But for now, I'm giving you a massive virtual hug. I love you, girl. You're always an inspiration. Love hanging out with you. And just thank you for just being so open and real and generous in everything you've shared today. Oh, my pleasure. I love you, Vanessa. Thank you so much for having me. Mwah.